You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode, join us as we speak to Evo Terra. According to Podcast Alley, Evo published the 40th ever podcast. He's also the co-author of Podcasting for Dummies and Expert Podcasting Practices for Dummies. He has a podcast and media consulting business that includes podcast launch services. Now, let's talk to Evo Terra. Let's get to it. back everybody this is elvin freitas and this is joe salustio and on the line we have evil tara evil how you doing i'm doing well gentlemen well as well as can be expected after being sick with the flu for a week but i shall survive (laughs) yeah we saw that on linkedin well thanks for taking the time really appreciate it so where are you located right now evil i'm in my studio slash office in phoenix arizona Nice and warm. Fantastic. Enjoy that weather. So we want to dive right in. And we were looking at your wiki, uh, Wikipedia page. And so you were the, uh, the 40th podcast episode ever to publish. Is that correct? Can you tell us that story? Uh, yeah, that, 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 is, that is true. Um, back in October 14th, 2004. Yes, I do remember the exact date. We published, uh, my partner and I, uh, an episode of a podcast we were doing at the time, uh, and yeah, that be, so when we listed ourselves there, that uh, when we made the podcast available, I should say, uh, that meant that we had the 40th podcast because at that time there weren't a whole lot of people who were actually podcasting. So we were, we were pretty early. Now, in, in all fairness, it's kind of a cheat for us because we were producing that podcast originally as an online internet radio show. And we'd been doing that for a couple of years, almost two and a half years at that time. So we had well over 100 episodes uh, at, at that time. So when we went live with our podcast, it was like episode 119 or something like that of the show my partner wow. and I had been doing for two and a half years. So we had a, yeah. an immediate back catalog as soon as we got listed. Wow. So um, I want to also ask you, how did you first hear about podcasting? You do an internet radio show. And, um, you know, where were you? Do you remember uh, something you read, something you listened to? When that first word kind of popped out? It was first presented. Yeah, presented to me by my partner who I was doing the show with uh, on the 12th of October. (laughs) He sent me an email and said, have you heard about this thing called podcasting? Which I promptly ignored because that (laughs) wasn't his job. His job wasn't to think about the new, cool, interesting things. That was my job. And so I ignored it for a day. But then when I looked at the article he sent over, um, I took a look at what we were already doing, which was releasing these episodes. We already had a blog. We had an RSS feed. It was a simple matter to fake uh, an enclosure tag. I'm going to get a little geeky for you, which is really the only thing that makes a podcast work, this little enclosure tag, which goes in your RSS feed. And boom, we were podcasting. So, you know, I knew nothing about it then this looks like an interesting way to get our show in the ears of more people so we should do that that's really interesting this is joe i you know um you think about podcasting you know going from terrestrial radio to internet and then officially you know having these short episodes dubbed as podcast certainly there was a um a wave of people at the forefront of that it sounds like you were not even yep. sure what you had on your hands and then it becomes podcasting. So you've been able to see, um, you know, of course now Elvin and I are, are, uh, are, you know, with the Ed up experience getting into the world of podcasting, but it's unfolded over the last, 
you know, I don't know how many years. How how have you seen it? Because you've had sort of a front row seat from being one of the first podcasters to now seeing I don't know how many people podcast. Probably one out of every five people, if you depending <laughs> on what the statistics you look at. Uh, so so how does how when you had this front row seat. How did it unfold in front of your eyes? Was it adopted early? Was it not adopted? Did it take a while for people to sort of pick up the concept? How did you, you know, what, how did you see it unfold in front of your eyes? It, it unfolded a lot of the, a similar way to the way most new things unfold. You know, there's, there's a spark of interest. And for some reason, enough people find out about this thing and it has its own little moment. And, and that's what happened in the, in the summer of 2004, which is when podcasting started. So, you know, almost 16 years now podcasting has been around. So the first handful of us who were doing it, um, we were all sharing thoughts and ideas, you know, what the encoding settings we should use, what the heck are ID3 tags, all of the questions we didn't know because there were no established, established standards on, on what we should be, we should be doing, where we should host it, all of those challenges. But the good news was, since there were so few of us doing it, uh, we were all listening to each other's shows by and large. So we were giving each other feedback. Here's how to improve. Here's a new thing that I've got. Let's try this. It, it was great to, to, to see that, that develop. And it was a kind of a slow rollout because while a lot of people adopted it relatively quickly, um, you know, if, if you look back at podcasting and you compare it to the adoption of television or radio or even the internet or social media, it's extremely slow growing. It is one of the slowest penetration models out there. I mean, here we are almost 16 years later and still only around a third of the population in America listen to podcasting on a regular basis. So we've got a lot of room still to grow, a lot of room to bring new people into the fold. And that's saying the fact, you know, there are almost, I didn't check today, but I think we're close to 900,000 podcasts that are available and valid in the Apple podcast store, which is the de facto uh, directory for all of us right now, almost 900,000, which sounds like a really, really big number. But if you look at how many were added since January of 2019, it's a number that's almost 40%. Almost 40% of all of the available podcasts right now were created in the last 13 months. That's wow. a mind boggling number when, you, when, yeah, when I think absolutely. about it. Why do you think that is? As a follow-up to, to what you're talking about, why do you think there's um, less people or not as many people adopting this as a, a, a way to consume media uh, compared to, to other medias in the past? There are a few factors. Uh, one is podcasting still, almost 16 years later, fails the grandmother test. You know, you tell your grandmother to go listen to a podcast, yeah. and if she's not already a podcaster, she's going to have a tough time doing it. Yet if you tell her to watch the TV or turn on the radio or check out Facebook, when she does those activities, she's getting content in her face seconds after she does that thing. So not it has so something to do with accessibility or, or age or um, uh, resistance to technology in some way? Uh, maybe the last part, certainly not the first two. I mean, well, there's, there is an accessibility problem within podcasting, but that's a different conversation. I don't think it's yeah. really an age issue any more than any other technology, but it, it is. And I don't think it's really a resistance to technology as much as it's just complicated and not as straightforward as any other media format we have to listen to a podcast. And clearly it's not an easy problem to solve because here we are 16 years later 
and it's still not solved. I'm happy that companies like Spotify have jumped on the podcasting in a big way, and now it's built directly into their app. There's an entire podcast section in Spotify you can go to now. So if you're a Spotify consumer, you can consume podcasts a lot easier. But we just got numbers from Spotify last week that showed that less than 17% of Spotify users are listening to podcasts. So still a really small number, which gets to the second problem, the content. Mm. There is a, for, you know, there's, there's a, a rule out there in the world called Sturgeon's Law. And Sturgeon's Law is one of those universal truths. And this one says that 90% of everything is crap. <laughs> and that's true in all things. I mean, if you, if you look through the literally millions or more than a million books that are published every year, the vast majority of them, especially the self-published ones, are uniquely terrible. <laughs> really, really bad. And this comes from me, who is both a published author, author as well as a self-published author. If you look at most of the YouTube videos, they're terrible. You know, there's the shot by a nine-year-old in his True. basement thinking it's cool stuff. And that's fine. I don't want to discourage the nine-year-olds out there, but they're not great for average consumption. But if you turn on Netflix, you can find really bad Netflix programming. It's not hard to do. But more likely, you're going to see something that at least looks good and sounds good and is well presented. Even for YouTube, they have an entire curating team whose job is to make sure that the homepage of YouTube has interesting stuff. It may not be yeah. the world-class best ever, but you're not going to see terrible shaky cam stuff unless it's something viral that's risen to the top. We don't have that in podcasting. Podcasting is a distributed mm. network by, def, by, by design. It was done this way. There was no central gatekeeper, which means it's very hard for things to rise to the top. And so when brand new people oftentimes encounter podcasting, what I hear from them, and I heard this back in 2005 when I was in New York talking, I ran an agency and I was talking about podcasting one of our clients. Afterwards, the client came up to me and he said, you know, I've, I've listened to podcasts. I've just got one question for you. Why do so many of them suck? And I don't think it's that wow. different today. I mean, there's a lot of great content out there. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but there's an overwhelming supply of not great content out there. So that's why my mission in life uh, now is to try and make podcasting better so that when people do encounter it for the very first time, uh, they have an experience that's amazing and, and wonderful so that causes them to go, I would like to see what else exists because this really got me. I had no idea podcast sounded this way. Let me go find more. And, you know, before I, Alvin, before you jump back in, I'd like to say that, you know, going back to Surgeon's Law, <clears throat> that that 90% of everything is crap does not include any podcast that Evo Terra has ever been on or the <laughs> Edup experience. So I just want to lay that out there for the audience. And now I'll pass it over to you, Alvin. <laughs> you do not want to listen to the first eight episodes I ever produced. I, I did once before, and I will never, ever do that again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I love it. That's great. So. You know, Evo, you described me. I got really lucky. I heard about podcasting probably a year ago, and it, I was interested in marketing at that time, and I heard about a marketing podcast, and I found it to be so educational and life-changing, and now I'm addicted. I'm constantly listening to podcasts, looking for other podcasts. I'm, I'm a podcast host. I have uh, two podcasts now. I'm doing this one and another one, and I'm all about And I'm trying to get more people to listen to podcasts, but I think it's an amazing, powerful educational tool. And I wanted to ask you, do you think the same thing? And, and, and if so, when did you realize, wow, this tool is extremely powerful educational tool? I think it can be. I think it, podcasting can be an incredibly powerful educational tool as long as 
the following conditions are met. The content itself is designed to be educational. And the vast majority of podcast content is not designed to be educational. Some of it's informative, but I wouldn't necessarily call it educational. And there's a lot of it that is just simply random, weird, personal, hobby type stuff, which is fine. I'm, I'm not denigrating any of that. So, so not all of that. So, so one, it has to be, has to be educational uh, content uh, to begin with. Um, and two, there has to be, I'm trying to think of a way, way to describe this. The, the most, people get a lot of education in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm not here to, to, to speak as an expert in education. That's you, your job, gentlemen. You guys can talk about that, right? Uh, and that's my wife's job, who's been in higher education for the majority of her career. So I, I get that. But, but I think to be educational, it needs to follow some structure. It needs to follow some rigor. I don't want to call them a rubric. Hey, look, an education word that I learned after 30 years of living with that woman. Um, there, yeah. there has to be the intent of it. You know, some things are educational just because if, if you listen to one of the history programs, you're getting an education about history, but that's not necessarily educational in nature. I think there are some podcasts that are designed very specifically to be educational that have followed, you know, structured curriculum requirements that help people along the way. And I think you could break those out as their own separate subgenre of podcasting. And I think that's really interesting for one reason, and that reason is China. You guys might have heard the stats that China podcasting market is a seven billion with a B, seven billion dollar equivalent industry. Well, that's because most of the podcasts in China people pay for individually. So you pay to access a podcast. But as it turns out, those podcasts people are accessing aren't podcasts that way you and I understand them here in America. Almost all of those paid for podcasts, as they call them, is educational content. How to, very specific things that people are used to paying for. I wanted to like to take this class to learn how to do something better. That's what most of them are designed for in China. And there, the Chinese population is very happy to give up their hard-earned yuan to get educational content. Very different over here in the States where, A, most podcasting is free and it's not mostly educational. It's more entertainment than anything else. Gotcha. So I would like to follow up also, um, how can we, and, and let me know if you agree or disagree, and that's okay. We can, we can go back and forth on this, but I think, like you said, we need more people to start listening to podcasts. So now I think there's a lot of room in the educational sector, K-12, to I mean, like college, community college, grad school, all that stuff, where the idea of uh, making podcasts a part of the curriculum uh, could be something that they should be implemented, I think. Uh, and so I wanted to get your feedback on, I know your wife is in higher ed, I want to get you, because I know that you are uh, like a podcast pioneer, and you want to get more people to listen, start listening to podcasts, know what, they, what it is, and start listening to it, and then use it. And so uh, I'm wondering, uh, to get your feedback as to what do you think would be a good way for the educational sector to introduce podcasts? I think education has a unique opportunity that a lot of the other reasons you create content doesn't have. And that is students are used to doing what they're told. They're used to taking a <laughs> syllabus and, and, okay, I've got to buy this book. I've got to look at these articles this week. I've got to do these discussion questions. For them, it's part of their routine. And they're used to, again, to being told what to do. So when you think about that from an educational point, it makes perfect sense. Rolling into podcasting, why not? 
there are everybody that's in the audience, everybody that's in the consideration set of, of a course, whether it's an online education course that people just take for the fun of it, or whether or not they're in an advanced doctoral program right now, all of those people, 85 to 90% of them have a device in their pocket, which will allow them to listen to podcast available content. Most of the podcast hosting companies out there, the Libsyns, the, the Buzzsprouts, the Captivate, all these, they all have the ability to make private feeds, make content that is not, sub, not going out everywhere. You don't have to list them oh. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but you can just say, look, here's a private feed where you have to enter in some sort of a member name, number, whatever the process is, so they can get just that content. And you can do that in such a way. And think about the, the benefit of getting content delivered to you from an educational point of view as a podcast. We know from podcasting that, that podcasting is a found time activity. No one, by and large, no one, generally speaking, sits on their couch, puts their headphones in, and listens to a podcast intently. That's just not how we, <laughs> yeah, really by and large, I mean, that's really not, we, we, we tend to do things like we wash the dishes, we drive yeah. around a car, we do our commute, we do all these things that, we, that our brain can handle on its own, so we can still focus. And it's not like putting the TV on in the background while you're grading papers that my wife does all the time. Um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. It, it, is, it is definitely, an, an, you are immersed in what you're doing, but you can do it on your time. You know, thinking about it from the point of view of education in a workspace setting, which is what I'm more familiar with, you know, every time someone is forced to watch a video that their CEO put out or read the update to the HR manual that came out this month, every moment the person spends doing that, that's literally the only thing their brain can do. We know multitasking is a farce. So the only thing you can do, you're spending work time getting educated on work stuff. But as a podcast, you might be able to get people to say, I will listen to this while I'm driving into work this morning or when I go home tonight. And if you're concerned, the creators out there, if you're concerned that your content you're creating for people, or maybe you're a teacher and you're concerned that the people who are wanting to consume your content don't want to do it on their own personal time, that may mean you're not making good enough quality content because most people who are trying to learn something will fit it in wherever they can. So just adapt to that. That's interesting because, you know, you're, you're right on. I didn't even think about that, to be honest, that the whole found time concept, but you're right. I mean, anybody, and I'm, I'm included in that. When I listen to a podcast, I'm, I'm definitely doing something else. In fact, one of today, just maybe 15 minutes um, before we started recording this episode with you, one of my colleagues uh, in uh, the university setting called me and said that he was able to listen uh, to the Edup experience when he was at the gym. Uh, yeah. last night. <clears throat> and I went, well, that, that makes sense. But that whole concept of found time is important for anybody who's doing a podcast, because then you want, of course, there's this metrics piece, right? You want people to listen. You want to market it. You want them to listen. But they may not listen right when you tell them to. They're going <laughs> to listen over time. They might download, they might save your episode for two weeks from now when they happen to be, you know, driving to the lake for the weekend. And that's the time that they listen. So, it's interesting because the analytics piece of this is you're looking at how many people are listening and, and, and you're trying to, um, you know, justify your content. It doesn't happen immediately, uh, which I found really interesting as I'm looking at, you know, our analytics and who's listening to the edit experience. Now I'm connecting those two together. Thank you for that because I'm going, okay, it may take a couple of weeks for somebody to find time to do this. 
And yeah. really, it's on their time. And that's an important concept, I think, for anybody out there who's podcasting. You agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's just like anything. I mean, how, think of how many newsletters you subscribe to. Think of how many Facebook pages you've said that you've liked. Think about how many um, you know, YouTube channels you might have subscribed to. Just because you've subscribed to something doesn't mean you're consuming it as it's being created. And in fact, that's how podcasting began. We didn't really care when you actually listened to it. So there's a big change between the number of people that are on your email list and those that actually open up your email. Same thing for podcasting. You know, a lot of people subscribe to a show. They'll wait, as you said, two weeks before all of the episodes, before so they have a, a, a bulk of episodes to listen to. I used to run a, a network of uh, audiobooks, free audiobooks that were available in podcast form. So if it was a 30 chapter audiobook, it would be delivered in 30 episodes, one per week. I had tons of people who would tell me they would, every, every week, they'd download it, but they wouldn't listen. Wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen for 30 weeks until the book was completed, then they would listen. So because wow. that's what fit with their schedule. It's the way that they want yeah. to consume it. They're, they're in control. Now, back to the education thing, education can force that. Because you have to listen to this episode this week because next week we're going to be taking a test on this particular content. So if you don't listen, you're not there. Education has the ability to force some of that listening behavior uh, more on a more rapid basis than we're seeing today. Let me ask you a so, follow-up. Okay, okay. Let me ask one follow-up there, Alvin. The hard part about education is – it it typically is fairly bureaucratic. There's regulators everywhere. It's slow to change. And so when you look at a new learning method, if you're going to, you know, what Elvin suggests, you're going to take a podcast and insert it in a curriculum and make it a learning tool. It takes time. You might have curriculum redevelopment. It costs money, so on and so forth. And not a lot of, a lot of institutions will go that fast. Okay, let's put it that way. So there is this uh, space where universities in general, as we look at podcasting, where they're trying to get into it as a university, which runs like a business to some degree, right? You're trying to recruit students, you're using your marketing tools as you can. What, in your, uh, in your opinion, what could universities do with a podcast that would provide some level of value either to their constituencies or to people externally? I mean, I, you know, and I, and I have a, a bad habit of asking double-barreled questions. You know, I ask a question and then I ask a question right after without <laughs> giving anybody the chance to answer. But there's a lot of people out there that I speak to that say, we're going to start a podcast at this university and go, what the heck are we supposed to talk about? What are, what are we going to do with this podcast if it's not involved in curriculum? Any thoughts, you know, well, what, what we can do? Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. And I really like to, to, to back up and, and think about it for a moment, because to me, a university as an entity, as an organization, much like a company, nonprofit, whatever, um, they all do things basically the same way. And, and, but the thing for, for a university to think about is how much content does a university produce that is for every single student of the university? Not a lot. I mean, you not, know, the, the, the vast, not many. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the vast, all, almost, well, all of the educational content, we can make sure if you have general ed classes that everybody takes, I get that, right? For the rest of it, it is highly focused and it's, it's done by curriculum developers and designers and then SMEs and all these people that are coming in to, to, to make a course that's available. So I think when, you, when universities look at doing something podcast related, they're thinking too big. They're thinking for everyone as opposed to thinking, well, let's, let's narrow it down. Let, let's do what we do best and let's make a, a set of content, multiple episodes, 
maybe there's five, maybe there's 15 that, that have a very specific goal. You know, you don't have to do a weekly program talk radio style to have a podcast. You don't have to do that. A lot of podcast content is very short, very self-contained. And once you've consumed that amount of content, you move on, especially in the educational space. Almost all of the podcasts that are truly designed to be educational are limited run. They're not mm -hmm. weekly ongoing stuff because that's harder to do. It's harder to assess and how do you evaluate if it actually worked or not. So I guess my, my thought, my, my comment to any organization, especially one of higher education that is looking at what should we do from a podcasting space is not look at the big picture of what are the, all of the great things you could do with, with the entire student body, but focus in on the, on the underserved students that aren't getting what they need out of a class. Maybe you've got a, a set of courses that are designed for emerging technologies. How could you wrap that into the conversation or into the curriculum? And really, I think the biggest thing to do is empower the people who are responsible for keeping that content going, whether it's for the complete coursework, you know, for, for, for 16 weeks, if that's the case, or if it's an ongoing thing, you, you really have to let that be um, bottom up as opposed to top down. And that's hard for a lot of universities. I know they're very much top down. You know, this is our structure. This is our format. But a lot of these experiments have to work. So trust your people, stay focused and small and uh, see what interesting things you can create with this type of content that may not even look like any other content that's available on the internet right now. Great. Thank you. So I, I like to take a little deeper dive in this. So I really want to focus in on, because I've been dying to ask you this question, Ipo, ever since we said we were going to talk. Um, could a university, could a college, could a, an institution use a podcast to recruit new students, to, to brand themselves? Should they be thinking that way? Um, and what are your thoughts? I think they can, but I'm going to take that and, and pull it back a little bit. So what you're asking is, can you use a podcast to attract new people? That's the same question when business clients come to me and say, hey, I want to start a podcast so that I can grow my business. I, I, I exercise caution. Mm -hmm. I exercise caution there because, look, it's not like there are people just waiting out there with their podcast listening apps for new content to be developed doesn't happen right. that way. No, no one's, yeah. there's no homepage of podcasting like there is for Reddit or YouTube or any of those other features. So if you build it, they will not come. <laughs> that's just, that's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> just going to yeah. lay that out there right now. But I think you can do it, but it's going to have to be a much, a much softer sell with that. If the goal might be to recruit new students to come to the university, but I think you're going to have to give enough value in a particular area to show how wicked smart that university is for putting out this content that appeals to people who aren't even thinking about taking a course or signing up to be a, a, part, a student at that university. It has to be much more general purpose and interesting, which works great. It's also a lot harder because now you have to appeal to the general mass public and you're competing against everything else which is, which is out there for it. I think a, 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 an easier approach, if you will, or a more straightforward approach is to stay niche. How focused can we be? What are the things that we as a school are really known for? And what is the smallest unit of that we possibly can? Now let's sit down and say, can we make 10 episodes about this? 10 episodes to let people know how interesting and cool we are because we do this one nugget better than anybody else that's out there. Can we make 10 episodes that demonstrate how cool that is that anybody who's interested in that topic would want to hear. 
That's the trick. Mm. Gotcha. So um, I wanted to ask you also, there's so many questions, but I wanted to ask you, so what do you see as the future of podcasting? I mean, you've been in it for so long, you know, you're so up on the current uh, affairs with podcasting and, and the whole field and the industry. Where do you see it going in the future? Podcasting is in a great space because it's distributed, because there isn't a single gatekeeper that's in the way. Um, it's, it's hard. To, it, it's not even a ship to turn because there's no ship, right? It's just simply all scattered around out there. And so while that might limit some growth in some cases, it means that podcasting is about as susceptible to going extinct as websites or hmm. as books or as TV or movies. It's, it's not going to happen. It is a, it's, it's really what we're talking about here is an audio that's delivered over the internet. And it'll modify and change in whatever shape and size that looks like in the future. New apps will come along. Lots of new things happening at the middle layer that are working with you as well. So there's no, podcasting doesn't really face an existential threat because it's so easy to do. It is really, really simple, as many people know, and again, going back to Sturgeon's Law, it's very easy just to grab a couple of microphones and start talking. So we don't, we don't have that existential crisis. What I think is interesting about the future is there are so many new players with lots of money and also mm, yeah. lots of experience creating other sorts of content coming into the space that's forcing podcasting to up its game overall. Because people are no longer spoiled for choice. If you're really into fishing, for example, and you go listen to a fishing podcast, and the fishing podcast you've chosen after two episodes starts boring you to tears, you don't abandon podcasting altogether. You download or you subscribe to one of the other five dozen fishing podcasts or 500, whatever the number is right now. People are spoiled for choice, and that means the higher quality content continues to rise to the top, which in turn, gives people who are brand new to the medium better feelings when they come in and say, wow, that sounded really great. I had no idea this was the kind of content I could get from a podcast. I want to go deeper. So I have nothing but positive things to think about podcasting overall in the future. So staying with that whole futurism um, uh, concept, you know, and, and I do want to let our audience know, uh, Evo, that you do have your own website, evoterra.com. And you do uh, both podcast and media consulting. And one of the areas that you talk about is that futurism. Um, mm -hmm. You've been able to predict or be a part of these emerging technologies that have come up. And, you know, on your website, you talk about, you know, uh, Twitter being a valuable communication tool. You're sort of at the front end of that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the adoption lifecycle or you're able to see it in advance. Um, and then you make a funny comment about, you know, predicting the World Cup. And all I think about is Michael J. Fox <laughs> with the sports almanac. Um, all right. But what is what do you see in the future of, of digital media and, you know, uh, where we're headed? You know, a podcast obviously have played a part in that. But what's next? And, you know, without, you know, pulling the uh, the, you know, pulling you from behind the, cur the curtain uh, completely. You know, what are some of the things that you see in the future of, of how we communicate? Yeah, my, my track record of, of picking hits is, is mixed. You know, the great thing is, you know, survivorship bias is out there. And so uh, the ones that I, I, I adopted 
early on that are successful, like Twitter and podcasting to be examples, you know, great, this guy must have some crystal ball. He doesn't. He's also the guy that went super deep on Google Plus and was convinced right. that was going to be the hottest thing ever, right? So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, as, I'm as fallible uh, as, as anyone else is. But what I'm pretty good at is understanding what, what trends are happening and, and, and what is likely to be a potential future or what are the potential futures that, that look like when, if in fact that trend is going to hold true, you know, what happens when the money falls out of something? What happens when one particular piece of a technology stack falls away? What's, what's, you know, how, how is that going to, how's that going to implement them? What about the copycat, copycat clones of things like, you know, from Snapchat to TikTok and now Byte and a bunch of other things that are coming along, you know, if there's one thing that, that the, that the history of digital media, you know, all 20 years of it <laughs> has, has really shown those, and it's a little bit longer than that, but for popular people, let's just use 20 years. One thing that it has shown is it's not a straight line. You know, there's not a, there's not a goal at the end. Digital media follows what I have, what I use, and I didn't make up this, I didn't come up with this term, but it's, it follows the path of maximal interestingness, which is just fun to say, maximal <laughs> interestingness. I just love yeah, it. Writing that down right, right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wonderful theorem that that basically says that you know, plans are great, but if you have a five year plan, look, no one's five year plan is going to be that way in five years. It just doesn't exist that way. So instead mm -hmm. of doing hard fast planning and making this, you you develop things that that are towards something that looks like an interesting place. You don't know what it's going to be when you get there, but you know that's probably the direction that things are going to go. You know, when Twitter first launched, originally, they didn't have the, using the, the pound sign, the Octothorpe, to make a hashtag. That was done mm. by users. That was just done by mm. users. They didn't have it to where if you put the at symbol in front of somebody's name, it would automatically tag them. That was something that Twitter noticed users were doing this, and so they were fleet of foot enough to go and make those sorts of things happen, which is why it's, you know, still a viable communication tool, even though it's kind of waned over in the years. Nonetheless, it's still a viable tool, thanks to one guy I can think of all for the last three years has been using it pretty heavily, but we're not talking about politics. We're talking about education. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's difficult to predict what, what, what I think people should do. What I really encourage people to do when they think about new technology trends is, you know, by all means, if there's something that looks new and cool and interesting, download it, make your user account, play with it. See if you think personally it has legs and then just kind of keep an eye on other people that are talking about it. If you start seeing something come up over and over again on the sites that you read or the newsletters that, you're, that you see or your social media feeds, then maybe something has some traction, then you go towards that particular direction. Um, but, you know, also don't, don't <laughs> for the word of caution, don't go all in on, on a lot of things unless you can really see some value in doing it. You can spend a lot of time trying to predict what's going to happen. I, I think a, a better way to spend your time is just be aware of all of the things that are happening or, or as much of the things as you, that you can see happening and find out is there, if not anything that's important to you, but does that new tool or technology or way of doing things, does it have implications in your industry? And since we're talking about education, no. what is it from an educational point of view that works? Maybe not for you specifically, but can you see this new thing working well in higher ed? If so, there's a possibility it's probably worth taking a look at it and staying at least peripherally involved to see if that direction of maximal interestingness that thing goes towards matches your 
path of maximal interestingness as well. Now that's some add up advice right there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I have last two questions, Evo. These these are like big open ended ones. Uh, so, but I always like to try to uh, ask every guest at least the, the last question. So, um, first, what would you like to be remembered for? That's number one. And number two, everybody has an opinion on education. What does the future of education look like to you? I'm going to answer those backwards. Um, so, I I think the future of of education is continues to be distributed. It is a, and, and, and less structured, but at the same time, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but, but let me walk through it. But at the same time, better rigors, better standards that are around it. So less structure on what you have to take when, now, now clearly, if you want to go get your engineering degree that you, you better follow a very strict curriculum when, when that, that happens. Yeah. Right. But I'm thinking beyond that. I'm thinking more of the people who, who just like to learn things. You know, we, we've already seen such great opportunities for people who want to just go take classes. There are more of those than ever before. Thanks to Udemy and other sorts of clones like that, where people are putting content out there. What I see happening in the space is more skilled educators working along with those SMEs to produce the types of content that people can really get benefit out of. You know, just because you're really good at something doesn't make you a, make you a great coach about that thing. Take Wayne Gretzky, for example, greatest hockey player that ever lived, yeah. terrible coach. He was the coach yeah. of the Phoenix Coyotes right here. <laughs> yeah. Just not good a really, really yeah. good coach, right? Yeah. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you know how to teach it. That's the reality. And so I think we're going to, the future of education is where people who are subject matter experts will get together with curriculum experts and, and work on ways to make sure that people can take the, get the education they want that, that has good solid results uh, around that. Now to your second question of, of what do I want to be known for? You know, that is a, it's a, it's a big wide open question, as you say. And I, and I, I'm happy with, with where things are. Um, I'm, I'm not in the, the kind of person who needs to be remembered for until the end of time. You know, I'm no George Washington. <laughs> I'm much more of a Grover Cleveland. I don't know. I'll just pick another president that I don't remember right now. Um, and so I don't, I don't need the long lasting legacy, but I want people to look back and say, there's a guy who thought differently about things and yeah. who wasn't afraid to challenge uh, conventional wisdom when it needed to be challenged. That's really, that's really my charge in life being that professional contrarian. Nice. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, Eva. This is great. And by the way, um, I'm going to try to pick up the, uh, the beer diet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that looks so intriguing. This is the, the name itself, the beer diet. Yes, I'm going to try to pick that up. That was a lot of fun, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Thanks so much, Eva. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Joe, any, other, any further questions? No, thanks, Evo. Thanks for your time. Um, this is exactly what the EdUp experience is about. You've given us great tips. And for anybody that listens, you know, able to upskill right away, understanding podcasts better. So you, you've uh, been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So there you have it, Joe. What did you think about that conversation with Evo? You know, uh, we've gotten some, we've gotten really lucky to have such amazing guests on. <laughs> And, uh, oh man, uh, Evo, uh, first of all, fascinating. You could tell that he has a background in, in, you know, radio or, you know, because I think he was even on terrestrial radio at one point. You could tell yeah. he's got that radio yeah. voice and the cadence and he yeah. talks fast mm -hmm. and you could, it's very clear. Uh, but being able to talk to somebody that was among one of the first, you know, 50 podcasters to publish a podcast in, in, the, in you know, in the world 
is mm-hmm. pretty incredible. And he has some pretty, pretty darn good advice, I thought, for, for our audience. No, I agree. And here's the story, though. And this is something that I think is a big takeaway for everyone listening in education, in higher education. Get on LinkedIn, but don't just get on LinkedIn and then, you know, uh, check it every six months. Get on LinkedIn, make connections, start uh, seeing uh, what other people are doing and really get involved. That's how I got connected with Evo. And I got connected. I was was looking at his, uh, his feed. And I, I found his podcast. And I was listening to his podcast, and and I just simply sent him a message. Hey, we're you know we're thinking of doing this podcast. Are you interested? And he said sure. And he said yes. And then look, amazing, extremely valuable content that he provided, which just blew me away. So this has been like, you know, I'm, I'm like on a high after this after this one. Too. Yeah. It's so good. And, well, and then this uh, is, and you know, Elvin, awesome this is go ahead. Yeah, and this is what the EdUp experience is all about, that if you listen to this episode, you walk away from this episode taking something that you didn't know before. I did. Exactly. I mean, the whole concept of found time and podcasts yeah. and analytics and, you know, it could be weeks and weeks and weeks before you get that lesson from the person that, that wants to listen. I mean, when you think about that, you know, there is an investment and, and there's an investment of time, of energy and in doing a successful podcast. Um, he gives us some tips for what needs to be in a successful podcast. You know, yeah. the, the, you know, what was it? The Sturgeon's law, 90% of everything is, is terrible. <laughs> I thought content, that was great. Yeah, you so have the right content. Yeah. And then that's add up, that's add up add up right there. Niche. Yeah. Oh, yep. I'll pull the add up all the way. And then the niche, what are you good at? Zero in on that. Oh my God. That's just awesome. And well, hopefully some people will take that and run with it because um, it, it's just brilliant. And, and we'll, again, we'll have his information in the show notes. So if people want to contact him, uh, please uh, do and, and just let them know. Just let Evo know that Elvin and Joe sent you. That's the most important thing. <laughs> let them know you that's have it. heard about him through uh, the Ed Up experience. And uh, anything else, Joe? That's it. No, oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, looking forward to the next episode. Until then. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. That's E-D-U-P, experience, all one word, dot com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. We really, really appreciate your support. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. With your hosts, Joe Solustio and Elvin Freitas.